find yourself in a world that no longer makes sense. When you realize that a man like Epstein didn't Epstein himself. When the police are defunded, but Pakistan gets a gender studies grant. You may be in the Collapse Experiment. Hello and welcome to the Collapse Experiment. Today we have the beginning of a new series. This could almost be called uh, The Great Reset 2.0. The book in question has been called that. This is The Great Narrative for a Better Future by Klaus Schwab and Terry Malleret. It's uh, not that thick of a book. It seems to have been um, slapped together, kind of like the last one. Uh, but uh, there is a lot more to it. Although, from the reviews that I have seen on other podcasts and YouTube channels, the title is very deceiving. But we will see for ourselves, because uh, this is going to be a reading-slash-commentary on the great narrative so that we can figure out what the hell is is going on in these people's heads and um, totally debunk a lot of the BS that they they have uh, floating around in the cesspool of their minds. So let's get to it, shall we? Forward. We live in times of unprecedented change and have, as never before, the responsibility and potential to build a better future together. Uh, Together, really? I don't think you're including uh, the plebes. Times of unprecedented change, the major economic, environmental, and geopolitical, societal, and technological changes that coincide and amplify each other require unprecedented action. Premised on the belief that we have both a responsibility and potential to respond to these issues, the great narrative is a call to collective and individual action. Really. The thinking behind the book is inspired by a profound conviction that no, that to ensure a better future for humankind, the world needs to be more resilient, more equitable, and more sustainable. Oh, it's the cultish bullshit all over again. Equitable. Uh, fuck you and your equity. You're you're sitting on top of the throne of the almighty World Economic Forum, and you're talking about equity. You fly in a fucking Learjet to go to your meetings, but you want to talk about equity and sustainability. Just shove it up your ass. In COVID-19, The Great Reset, published in July of 2020. Did you notice that, how quickly that thing was published? I mean, the, the, the lockdowns and everything really started in, what, March? But man, did they pump this thing out? We raised the curtain on these issues. The Great Narrative places a cast of possible solutions to them on center stage. What the epilogue to our human saga will be will depend on which narrative prevails. It's called propaganda. The the narrative is is propaganda is is what it is. They're going to try to tell you sell you a tale and they want you to just go along with it. Why do narratives matter? Ah. As human beings and social animals, we are storytelling creatures and the stories we tell, the narratives 
are our fundamental tool for communication and transmission. Narratives are how we make sense of life. They provide us with a context thanks to which we can better interpret, understand, and respond to... Where is the Oxford comma? These people are supposed to be educated, and I have... This is twice now I've seen the Oxford comma just not used. Um, you're, You're listing off three things. The last two things are not connected to one... No. It's called an Oxford comma, clash. What the hell? Let's see here. To the facts we observe, most importantly, compelling narratives have the power to inspire us to act. But why a single great narrative? Because the constellation of important interrelated stories that this book offers colons around one central story... It addresses a broad spectrum of issues aiming to shed light on what's coming and to offer some clarity on our options in terms of a collective response. Even so, the great narrative proposes a framework for future action, not a prescription. I'm thinking they're pro-prescription after the last two years. They love their prescriptions. The great narrative expresses our personal convictions about the best way forward We recognize that the problems we collectively face are considerable, but we also believe that solutions do exist and are within our grasp. In that sense, it is a hopeful book (laughs) Uh that categorically rejects the doomsday mindset, consigned humanity to a future of oblivion, human creativity, ingenuity, and no Oxford comma again, and innate social, social... Social, sociality, sociality. Who the fuck wrote this? Are much more powerful for that and can prevail. Our views and convictions are informed by our humanistic values. The book is evidence-based and informed by science. Oh, science. I'm glad Fauci contributed to this. It is also underpinned by 50 conversations that took place with foremost global thinkers and opinion makers representing a variety of academic disciplines and points of view. Some corroborated our convictions. Others challenged them. I'm sure they're no longer around. All enriched our thinking. We are grateful to them. December 15th. 2021, Klaus Schwab and Thierry All right, so that was the forward. Let's move on to the introduction, which uh, maybe, maybe, well, maybe not. Maybe I'll have to break that up. I don't know if I have the time to read all that. Uh, introduction. What future do we face? What future do we want? What must we do to get there? Hmm, yeah, that's that's kind of my life. Uh, these three questions preoccupy us all. The great narrative provides a response to the first two and lays the foundations to address the third. We can't predict the future however we can imagine it and even design it. No outcome is predetermined and as cognitive human beings we retain the agency to shape the world we want. Wish somebody would have told me that as a teenager. Perhaps most critically, we can also prepare for the future by confronting both the risk that we can mitigate and the things that we will 
and the things that will surprise us. The pandemic was one such thing. Many international organizations and individuals have warned for years that a pandemic would occur. But, but, but despite this, it took most of the world by complete surprise. No, not really. Not surprised at all. Actually, I was kind of thinking we were overdue. Like a great many other things that are probably coming our way. Now, in December 2021, almost two years since it began, the pandemic seems never-ending and continuous to drag on. Um, Biden just said the other day it was over. So, um, yeah. Is this book kind of a moot point now? Uh, we hope that the COVID-19 crisis will soon be over, but will it? There's always a beginning and an end to every outbreak. As a former director general of the World Health Organization told us, there's the first footnote, but pandemics as a social and psychological phenomenon are not episodic. They linger for years. Not, not if I can help it. <laughs> the historian of science and medicine puts it this way. We are living in the COVID-19 era, not the COVID-19 crisis. There will be a lot of changes that are substantial and persistent. We won't look back and say, that was a terrible time, but it's over. We'll be dealing with many of the ramifications of COVID-19 for decades. Fuck that. No, we're not. Indeed, lessons from the past pandemics tell us how hard it is to understand how exactly when and why they end, and what their wide-ranging effects are. Throughout history, when the physical disease measured in mortality and infectious rates subsides, the impact of the pandemic still remains. It continues to affect our lives as economics, as economies and societies progressively adjust, and individuals strive to return to a semblance of normalcy. The psychological shock provided by different forms of fear triggered by the disease, like the fear of illness, the fear of isolation, the fear of others, or even the fear of the future, takes much longer to subside. It is already clear that the COVID-19 crisis has put into motion momentous changes that will unfold in a multifaceted fashion, some of these changes were already apparent prior to the crisis, but have been accelerated, even turbocharged, as some pundits would argue, by the pandemic. Among them are the acceleration of automation and innovation, rising inequalities. There's that bullshit again. The growing power of tech and surveillance. There's that bullshit too. Uh, the rising rivalry between the United States and China, the partial retreat from the glo from globalization, the economic paradigm shift, and increasingly f uh, fractious uh, geopolitical landscape. But other changes now in the offering go beyond a mere acceleration of pre-existing trends, including a handful that would have seemed inconceivable before COVID-19 struck the re reconsideration of our uh, social priorities as expressed notably in the great resignation phenomenon more radical welfare and taxation measures new forms of state intervention please god no 
<laughs> the rising appeal of well-being policies and new appreciate, uh, appreciation for nature. These are just a few examples of new systemic changes that will grow in relevance. Most of these, I really hope they don't happen. Um, a new appreciation for nature. Uh, that's just... Uh, when have we stopped appreciating nature? I, that one doesn't make any sense to me. Um, there's quite a few things in here. Uh, radical welfare and taxation measures. Yes, we're seeing that. Thanks, Biden. Uh, 87,000 new IRS agents. Yeah, the great resignation. Well, when you tell people they can't work for extended periods of time and they finally realize that, wow, life is a lot better than that shitty job that I've been doing for the last 20 years, <clears throat> yeah, they're going to be reluctant to go back to work. Why put up with that bullshit if you don't have to? Over the past millennia, pandemics have been the rule, not the exception. <laughs> this being so, how can history help us understand what lies ahead? Pandemics are by nature... A shock that divides and traumatizes. I thought they just kind of killed people and thinned out the herd. I don't know. As such, they tend to exacerbate the same major issues and problems that have re recurred throughout human history. Wars and conflicts, inequalities, impoverishment, social cohesion, and strife. Political turbulence and the disruption of supply and demand, debt distress... To name a few notable ones, that's just normal bullshit and you're adding a pandemic on top of that. Of course, everything is going to end up being worse after or during a pandemic. <sighs> However, because of their inherently disruptive nature, pandemics can also prove to be a force for lasting and often radical change. COVID-19 is no exception. It has revealed in a quasi photographic manner two things the main fault lines that beset today's world like social divides lack of fairness <laughs> lack of fairness limited cooperation how about people who have insane insane amounts of money they're not elected officials they try to think that they have the ability to change the world order into their vision um, not talk about fairness Okay, like you already have, what, 80, 90% of the world's wealth and like your little handful of circle jerk friends. And um, perhaps you are not the ones that should be talking about uh, things like lack of fairness, limited cooperation, failure of global governance. <laughs> yeah, the UN sucks balls. Uh, geopolitical turmoil, but also too... Our extraordinary ability to mobilize and innovate when confronted with conditions of intense adversity. Oh, yeah, like the, um, oh, what was that called? Operation Warp Speed. Yeah, that, that turned out great. Go check out those blood clots that they keep finding. Oh, by the way, they're not blood clots. They just don't know what the fuck they are. <laughs> Who could have predicted back in the early days of the pandemic that so many governments and central banks would come to the rescue of their countries, societies, economies with such extraordinary accommodative fiscal and monetary policies? What was accommodating about that? 
you shut down how many businesses, you destroyed how many lives. Uh, there was no accommodation there. The big corporations were the ones that sucked up all the funds that were supposed to go to the small businesses to keep them alive and thriving. But no, that didn't happen. Now all of a sudden, the government's going around saying like, hey, you should have gotten that $200 billion. Why did you apply for that? Because you said we, you never said we couldn't. And uh, yeah, congratulations. Your policies suck. They've always sucked. You can't just hand out money free nilly and just think that bullshit's not going to happen. And he didn't work with any of the small companies at all on a state level, on a local, well, local level, totally different. State level, fuck Gretchen Whitmore, okay? State level sucked ass. It was horrible. Yeah, you're not allowed to be open, but we're still going to collect our taxes. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Accommodative fiscal and monetary policies. Total bullshit. Uh, no. Who could have imagined in the spring of 2020 that not only one, but several vaccines would be available in less, uh, less than a year later? That's, that's right. Who could have imagined? Oh, I don't know. Congress, who, who invested a lot of money buying stocks and certain companies that were getting the green light to just skip all the testing necessary to make sure it was a safe and effective vaccine. I think they had the insight. A new world, not a new normal, is now emerging. Good, because I'm so tired of hearing the new normal. The contours of which will largely be defined by the narratives that evolve to inform and construct the way forward. Ugh. This is going to be so such a pain in the ass to read. Because I'm just going to get angry all the time. I'm going to have to start taking blood pressure medication thanks to Klaus. Throughout human history, this has been a key uh, attribute of pandemics. There is an existential threat, and as such, they force us to think about the big questions. Not only in relation to ourselves, our lives, and our own mortality, but also... Via V, via V, others, but also via V. Who the f ah, Terry Mallorette must have put that in there. Pandemics serve as a big mirror held up to our collective faces that reflect back to who we really are, both as individuals and societies. For this reason, like all deep crises, they force us to rethink the social contract that blinds us together, binds us together, not, not, not blinds us, and the way we do things, which can in turn trigger innovation and pave the way for institutional policy and societal ruptures. Momentous shocks, such as the one inflicted by the pandemic, can create momentous change in dealing with adversity through the sheer power of ingenuity has always been part of the human condition. Why would it be different this time? It won't. Except that two specific features of today's world will render the changes that are coming more abrupt, more complicated, and more reaching more far-reaching than we might imagine. Oh, God, I wonder what they can be. 1.1, contamination of risk and systemic connectivity. 
Interdependence. Oh, yay, the thing that governments don't like. Oh, I'm sorry, that's independence. <laughs> the byproduct of technological progress and globalization is the definition, defining feature of the 21st century. It means that we live today on the brink of major consequential changes that are not independent from each other, but are taking taking place simultaneously with the risk concatenated, i.e. linked together. How about you just write linked together? Uh, reinforcing one another through cascading and contagion effects. The pandemic has occurred in a very particular junction juncture when our economies and societies seem ill-suited to many of the challenges that lie ahead. When the geopolitical and technological landscapes are being reshaped in a way that will make them unrecognizable in just a few years, and when the environment is on the brink of disaster and climate change is an existential threat, the conjunction of all of these changes challenges concurring simultaneously and impacting each other defines systemic connectivity and makes our current era unique in history. Not not really. There was there's quite a bit going on during the Black Plague. It's called Reading History Book Clause. Let's see here. Uh, not only are all the changes happening at once, but they're, they're being exacerbated by the pandemic and unfolding very fast. As we will see, solutions to the major challenges we face do exist and are within grasp, but they will require a great deal of innovation and dramatic changes in our economies and societies, as well as in the institutions, laws, and rules that govern them. No. No, not really, because we have a constitution. And maybe you don't have one in your country. I'm pretty sure Germany does now have a constitution because <clears throat> somebody whooped y'all asses uh, like 70, 80 years ago. But um, yeah, those those constitutions are, are kind of a, that's a hindrance, right? Klaus, our life habits and modes of consumption will also need to change drastically. <laughs> modes of consumption. Uh, personally, I was never really a fan of the whole supply chain uh, method of uh, food distribution, especially when you're like shipping strawberries over to China just to put them in plastic containers and ship them back. You know, stupid shit like that. Um, not really a fan. And for some reason, you also don't like the idea of local farming and, uh, I don't know, Amish people being able to sell their stuff to people who want to buy it. You seem to have an issue with that too. 1.2 Social media and the change Oh, social media in the age of fake news. Oh, I'd love to hear what they have to say about fake news. Haven't had enough of that in the last two years. It's 100% effective and you can't spread the disease. Well, you can still spread the disease, but it's 90% effective. Well, it's about 60% effective after this, so you're going to have to take a booster. Well, I... <laughs> <laughs> How much fake news can we take? Falsehoods, misinformation, disinformation, and conspiracies. Hey, hey now, do not be knocking my conspiracies, asshole. Have always existed, but today they are severed and sub 
ser served and magnified by the dominance and reach of social media and the virality of fake news. Yes, down with CNN, down with Fox News. I I'm in total agreement with that. Furthermore, the manner in which social media now structure... The way which social media now structure the communication between individuals can affect the collective ability of certain groups to form reliable beliefs. This manifests in two ways. We can opt, as we often do on social media, only to interact with people who share our beliefs and refuse to do so with people who and refuse to do so with people who challenge them. That's called a cult. That's the problem we're dealing with. In the process, by virtue of only connecting with those who think like us, we lose true connectivity and close down channels of vital communication. Uh-huh. This creates partitions and polarizations to all sorts of influencers, be they government agencies and industry groups or even individuals now have direct access to ready-made large groups of people with whom they can create a relation of trust and dependency, thus aggravating and even inflaming polarization. It should come as no surprise that research conducted during the pandemic has exposed a link between COVID-related uncertainty and anxiety and an increased likelihood of adhering to conspiracy theory. I'm sorry, but... If there's one thing we learned about conspiracy theories during COVID is that they stopped being theories the moment you changed your story and it turned out they were true. Yeah. So if there's anybody who's pissed off about conspiracy theories, um, which is you, Klaus, uh, the issue isn't that people don't trust you or Fauci. The the idea is that you kept doing things to make sure people didn't trust you or Fauci. That was the issue. You said one thing. You got people fired. You got people injured. Uh, you did all these horrible things to the public. And every, what, month, two months, couple weeks, the story would change. And it would turn out the conspiracy theorists were right. They were right. They've always been right. So why don't why don't you go to the social media companies and tell them that anybody who said uh, I don't know words like ivermectin on YouTube or were saying things on Twitter like Alex Berenson, how about you just reactivate all those fucking accounts because they were right. They were right. You were wrong. And even when you changed your story to the exact same fucking thing that those people were saying. Those people were not reinstituted on the platforms. They were not compensated by you being a bunch of assholes. Um, yeah, you're worried about conspiracy theorists because you're creating the, the, the theories to begin with and proving them right. <laughs> and proving if I if there was a gambling outlet online where I could plug in my conspiracy theory and put money on it. I'd be a fucking millionaire right now. It's insane. You people are insane. This is part of the reason why powerful anti-science movements prolong the waning, the waning of the COVID-19 pandemic. No, 
you did that because the vaccine didn't fucking work and you did nothing to promote any type of preventative care, any type of actual hospitalization care, except for fucking ventilators, which kill 85% of the people who are put on them. You did that. Hindering both public health and more fundamentally our ability to move forward in unison. You don't want unity. Quit telling us this bullshit. That is not your... No. <laughs> that is not what you're looking for. <clears throat> Beyond the limits of the pandemic, the abundance of fake news and its ability to magnify and manipulate polarization hinders our ability to deal successfully with the momentous collective action problems that humanity faces. <sighs> there is so much in this this one freaking paragraph alone, and it's just... Um, yeah, they're trying to blame other people for their fuck-ups. Amazing. And they put it in a book. And of course, the way that they're wording it, it would... They talk about this polarization. They're wording this to say that we did everything right. If they had just gone, gone along with it, the pandemic would have been over so much faster. And they take no accountability for all the screw-ups and mistakes. And they're like, why were they questioning the science? Because the science was not right you were wrong you're completely wrong even there was even the asshole at the cdc who was like why is it six feet oh sounds good to me okay we're going with six feet in the light of this how can we best understand the necessity and relevance of the changes that are coming the way we can influence our trajectory and the role of systemic connectivity social media and fake news play in all of this it is hard and there is no one simple answer we must respond to questions like how what do we do next what choices uh do we want to make how about you leave that to the people hmm i don't know uh last time we left a bunch of these choices up to you guys a bunch of people lost their jobs lost their lives and uh how many homeless people do we have in the United States now because of your shitty policies and forcing people to get a medical procedure that they could not get or did not want? Yeah, maybe these aren't questions for you, dude. How can we fix? Uh, how can we fix what doesn't work? Maybe it's not working because you're not supposed to do it that way. Did you ever think about that? How can we put in place the corresponding new policies and solutions? We don't want your new policies, and uh, most likely there are no solutions. It's just creating more problems. Just get the fuck out of our lives. Thank you. How can we grasp the ideas that underpin them? Oh, my God. <clears throat> How can we make those ideas palatable? If it's not a good idea, it's not palatable doesn't matter how pretty you make that piece of shit look on the plate, I ain't eating it. So that a large majority of citizens embrace them, the magnitude of the task is head-spinning. Its complexity far exceeds the cognitive capabilities of any single individual or the collective understanding of any single academic discipline and or professional practice. The reason is straightforward. Academics and other professionals tend to excel at thinking in a narrow field and do so rely on a particular conceptual and mythological framework. 
leaving little or no time to connect with other disciplines or professions. This can and often does result in a shared disquit, but both overwhelmingly by the complexity of the task and have a limited understanding of its scope. Take the continuation between economic, geopolitical, societal, technological, and environmental issues as an example. Apart from the obvious cognitive limitations that an overload of information rising complexity impose upon us, they are all restricted in our understanding of things by the boundaries of our professional lives. We, If we are an economist, we specialize in economics and find it hard to grasp what what's happening in other fields. It's funny. How many rich economists have you ever met in your life? Oh, darn. The crickets aren't here anymore. Yeah. Um, it's funny. For these people who seem to specialize in economics, uh, they don't really uh, use that profession very well, now do they? Um, geo- geopolitics, technology of the environment, technology or the environment. If we are an artificial intelligence specialist, we may find it difficult to comprehend what happens in the realm of social science to understand the extent to which our culture and social norms dictate if, how or if societies will adopt. I, I always thought that with AI, I mean, you got to have what understanding and computer programming, but if you're trying to create an artificial intelligence wouldn't you have to understand, uh, I don't know, sociology, psychology, um, have an understanding of how the mind works, um, the thinking process? I don't know. I, I think he's kind of underestimating something, and perhaps he doesn't know much. I mean, maybe maybe he's proving himself right in that um, he understands his profession but clearly I do not understand the professions of other people because I am making assumptions about what they think. Uh, let's see here. We'll adopt and change to new technologies and so on. <clears throat> the point is this. We all tend to operate in our silos and often fail to connect the indispensable dots between desperate fields. Therefore, our response to our new facts or situation and how we make sense of the world is over-reliant on ultimately shaped by how these people we know or trust are doing so. This fundamental process of exchanging and understanding and evaluating evaluation takes place via stories or narratives. Okay, so... <laughs> He's putting together a group of people, what, 50 people he interviewed? I don't even think he, he interviewed all of them. Uh, he's putting together this group of people to try to create a story. And from my understanding, they don't even put a story in here. It's like the book itself of them trying to figure out what this story should be is the story. I heard that explanation. But, um, yeah, we're going to stop there. Uh, page 19. We're going to restart at 1.3, the power of narratives, and um, continue on from there. And I have a feeling that this is just going to get even more wacky. Uh, they're going to try to shift the blame game even more when it comes to their incompetence and how things went with COVID. <sighs> this might be a fun ride. Um, 
Thanks, and uh, thank you for joining me. And hopefully I can stay on a regular schedule Monday through Friday and get this project completed. It's going to be a while. We're, what, 20 pages in? And from what I am seeing, this is about 205 pages. Oh, look, a quote from Nelson Mandela. Mm, that's nice. Um, yeah, so about 10 days. 10 days, I'm going to say three weeks. I'm going to say a good three weeks to get this done. So, anyways, remember, you are the carbon that Klaus Schwab wants to reduce. Thank you for listening to the Collapse Experiment podcast. For more content, check out thecollapseexperiment.com where you can find the latest news articles. If you'd like to help out this podcast, check out books by Matthew Gilman on Amazon. Or you should just buy gold and silver. Just just buy gold and silver. It's, it's a better investment and uh, you might actually have something to trade later on when the world <laughs> falls apart.